And I would encourage everyone because we all do this. We are good. Everyone is a good listener. But what would it take for you to become a great listener? What does that mean? And so if you're listening to someone's words, then challenge yourself to think about what emotions you think might be behind those words. Why did they select a particular word over another one? What are the different sounds that you're hearing at the same time that you might be in a conversation? And if you're not in a conversation, then what are you hearing? And if you're writing, what made you choose to write or not write? And do you go back and look at what you've written? Because one of the things I've noticed about myself is that I very rarely do go back and look at what I've written. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Industry Leader Podcast, sponsored by Inveris. Today, I have a lovely guest, Heather Killo, Senior Vice President, Senior Commercial Leader at DTN. How are you, Heather? I am doing great. Thank you. Well, that's good. So let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Sure. It's a fun path for me to turn and walk back down. I got started as a pretty young lady in actually the more physical side of oil and gas, working on some exploration and production projects and doing some procurement. And I started off in the international waters. I was doing some projects in the North Sea. I actually got to do some procurement for projects in Venezuela and also in the Pacific Rim. So those were some fun geographies to get my feet wet in, so to speak, and taught me a lot about the processes for exploring for oil products and getting them out of the ground. And ultimately, that kind of led me to the refining side of things. And so I spent a few years there. Also got to work for a company that is Houston-based that had a fleet of ships and would actually deploy personnel out onto the rigs in the Gulf of Mexico also to support drilling for product. So that kind of started my relationship with a few of the oil companies that have production facilities that are based here along the U.S. Gulf Coast. Okay. Okay. So you did a lot of offshore stuff. That's the way it started. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of what I did was so interesting. So I might get a requisition in for an offshore platform and page. It could have, you know, a three eighths socket wrench and a one and a half inch ball valve gear operated and 12 pack of toilet paper. And that <laughs> might be what they needed flown out on a helicopter that day. Yeah. Good old logistics. So how is yeah. that as a woman out there? You know, it was really a lot of fun. I have to tell you, I know there are a lot of challenges, both perceived and real, for women in what's considered to be kind of a male-dominated industry. I have to tell you, I was always treated with 
a lot of respect. And I look back on many of the situations I was in, and I'm so grateful for the group of people that I came up around. I worked one of my very first jobs. I worked for a company that was owned by two lawyers who had gotten their degrees, their law degrees at Tulane. And it really taught me a lot, strong business ethic and a lot about how to be fair in business. And it was just a really important part of my growth for who I became as a contributor to various businesses that I work at along the way and hopefully folks that I've mentored. But it was, you know, it's definitely, I think, you know, it's a different level of responsibility when you are a young woman and, you know, having to do a lot of interaction with, you know, folks, whether they be women or men, you know, I just think it's important to kind of hold ethics about business very high. And if you do that, I think that, you know, kind of takes gender out of the equation and just allows everybody to be right. on an even playing field. But I've been very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So a lot of offshore stuff, got into the refining. What happened next? Well, <laughs> it gets kind of funny from there. I met my husband right around then and he didn't know it, but I knew he was going to be my husband. And so, we, <laughs> right. I kind of was like, Hey, and so he and I shared some of the same clients and it was starting to turn out that his buddies would call him up and go, Hey, do you think you could get your girlfriend to give me a better deal on this such and such that she's quoted me? And I think he was getting a little uncomfortable with the love triangles that were beginning oh. to form some better pricing on this and that. So he suggested very politely that maybe I might want to find a different field to get into. And so I took that advice and immediately started, you know, looking into other industries and managed to make a connection with a friend of mine from high school. And I started investigating technology. And I was very interested. In fact, I was going to school and had declared my major as psychology. And so I was very interested, in fact, in the behaviors around kind of what makes people flow towards a certain type of job, what makes people change jobs a lot, and kind of different psychologies. And, and that had to do a little bit with the fact that we had brought an industrial psychologist into the office that I was working in. And this person came in and said, oh my gosh, people are agitated because the walls are yellow and you're going to have to make changes because people feel very anxious when they're in your office environment and so forth. And I just found that very fascinating. And so. Yeah, that really is. Right. And so this technology company that I paired up with specialized in asking these structured interview questions via technology, you would select your answers and then it would pass through this answering key and it would give the likelihood that you would be successful in a particular job based on your personality and your attitudes about certain situations. And we've all taken those kinds of tests before. Oh, I think they're fun. Was, oh, I do too, right? I just think it's so interesting. So they ended up offering me a job and they wanted me to head up business development in their very high turnover section of the company. And lo and behold, that happened to be uh, convenience retail, which is very closely related to petroleum. And about 90 days in, they asked me if I would head up their petroleum division. So then I got to be technology, but petroleum related. I was only gone out of the industry for maybe 90 days. Oh, yeah. It's a little break. Yeah. But 
yeah, with a little bit of spin on it. So I got back very quickly and have been enjoying the technology side now for quite a long time, a couple of decades. Awesome. All right. So let's talk about your current role at DTN and all the numerous things that DTN does. Well, sure. So I became very interested in DTN a couple of years back because DTN has this very unique position in the downstream market. And they act as kind of a data positioner, or maybe even you could think of it as data mobility, where data is created at a particular position in the market where a load of fuel is lifted, placed onto a truck, and then it goes to a next place. That might be to a different distribution depot, or that could be the end of the line. That could be the end user. It could be retail. It could be a construction site or you know waste management facility where it's going to get loaded onto a truck or so forth. But the documents that follow that load of fuel historically have always been paper. And where DTN has come into the forefront over the last several years is in taking what has historically been paper documents and converting those elements into digital and making them available so that pieces and parts of that formerly paper document can go populate important systems back at the home office. So it might be that the quantity and the material temperature or various anything that might be on that document need to go into the ERP system or potentially the ETRM system, or, you know, I might want to pull off something else and have that go into a pricing system and so forth. I can pull those pieces out and have them be mapped. We call that translation into a whole host of different systems that reside at home office. And then they can be even matched up further. So for instance, if I have a bill of lading and now someone sent me the invoice a day later, I'm able to pair those up and no person has to touch those. Yeah, it leaves a lot for cleans up the human error, right? It actually turns it into where all you're doing really is dealing with exceptions. And it makes everyone, I think, well, a lot happier, but it makes everyone a lot more efficient. And so it sort of puts people back in the jobs that really require people. So customer service, being able to do, you know, the human touch that kind of returns customer service to what it once was. Right. And I think it also does some things too for like risk management. We do solutions where basically you allocate product for who your customers are based on, let's say, their credit worthiness or maybe, you know, a brand you're having to set aside product for a particular brand or various other attributes that a customer may hold that you want to reserve product for those attributes. So it really does, I think, a lot of what happens provides for a higher level of customer service, both customer to customer and ultimately then customer to kind of the end user. Okay. All right. It's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief at OGGN, and the energy industry faces challenges every day. And the events of the last two years have caused disruptions like never before. Companies in the energy industry need actionable intelligence and a single source of truth that brings all the data together. 
Endeavorous is the energy specialized technology partner that provides intelligent connections for the global energy ecosystem. Only Endeavorous has the analytics, people, experience, and industry scope to connect the right data and information in the right way to discover missed opportunities and deliver fast outcomes. Find out more at endeavorous.com. That's E-N-V-E-R-U-S dot com. All right. Well, so let's talk about what leadership is to you. Hmm. I have been, I think, maybe everyone feels this way, but I feel like I've been uniquely blessed with some of the individuals in my career that have been really talented at leadership. I think there are two kinds of people that lead. Some people do it and they don't necessarily take it upon themselves to lead others, but they do it naturally. And those people are really a joy to watch. It's almost like art. And then there are other people. In fact, I have one of these people in my life right now who really takes leadership as a serious part of their responsibility at work. And I think that's really special too. And so, you know, it's that thing where you are considering the example that you're setting and you consider your word choice and you take a moment to actually, you know, maybe pull someone to the side and say, you know, hey, did you think about that situation and how might you have handled that if you had had to stand up and give that talk? What stood out to you? It's things like that where you do seek out a moment to teach people in the group. I personally have probably learned the most from three different people in my history. All three of them were from quite a while ago in my career. I mentioned two of them earlier. They were the guys who were lawyers that I worked for. And they just really, they kind of embodied professionalism. I learned some really basic stuff from them. So one of the guys told me his advice was never go anywhere without a blazer. You should always have a blazer because even if you have to put it over a t-shirt with jeans, you'll at least feel like you were able to dress it up some, right? Oh, that's good advice. I know. I've always kind of stuck with that. And so I never pack anywhere for anything without, even if it's a linen blazer and I'm taking it to the beach with me, I always take a blazer with me. So I thought that was some pretty good advice. And then, you know, I worked for another guy, commuted to Dallas for six years. And I worked for a gentleman who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And he still actually is in the same industry that I'm in today. And he's the person who taught me, and this is an Ariana Huffington thing, but Nobody really can read what you're thinking until you tell them. So take your time and don't speak before you're ready. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, I've watched him use silence very masterfully. And I've tried to emulate that because really, you don't have to say anything. You can wait. And others, you know, will become uncomfortable with silence and sometimes show you something that they would not have otherwise. So I've always kind of stuck with that because I think certainly in my youth, I was very quick to, oh, let me explain to you what I know about this topic. And now it's sort of interesting to sit back and wait and let someone tell you what they know about this topic, right? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I've been called mouth of the South, so. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, sister. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, I like that a lot. And I've seen that happen, especially in like sales meetings, right? You'll see a sales guy 
not be able to handle the silence and have to fill it and, you know, potentially lose that sale. So, yeah, I like that a lot. So what do you think the hardest part about being a leader is? Not knowing when you're misunderstood. Ooh. I believe that I am a good communicator. And I also think I try hard to read my audience and that I'm not terrible at EQ, that I can see it when I've lost someone. Uh-huh. And so when you don't know, and then you find out, you know, maybe it's through the hallway and somebody says, oh, wow, she said, and I just was really surprised. And you find out, wow, that was a total mystery. That is not what I meant when I said that. And how quickly when there is a miscommunication, it can create chaos. Mm, mm -hmm. And the other part of this that I think is really important, and I have dealt with this a lot in the last two years, we had some people come into our culture who are verifiers. Oh, what's that mean? Let me tell you what it means. They came in and they are from, it's a few people who joined our organization and they came from a very evolved professional organization. And they have this verification process where they want to get your verbal that you understood what they said. And coming into our organization, it felt condescending. It felt, okay, you know, you're kind of treating me like, if I don't understand you, I must not be as smart as you. It made all of us bristle. It felt uncomfortable. And I now understand that it was part of their training in order to prove out that they actually had been understood. And it is a good business practice because on the few occasions now where I have been verified and it's shown me that I did not communicate exactly what I was meaning to communicate, it called it out before the people left the room. And I was able to get everyone on the same page. Align is the word that we use. And it does. It makes a huge difference because now I don't have the problems with the chaos that ensues because maybe I use a word that someone defines differently in their world that means something to me that doesn't because they were not exposed or they don't know the agile vernacular. And so to them, scrum means something they're going to do to their kitchen sink tonight. You know? Who yeah. Knows? Yeah. Everybody kind of speaks a different language and that's something I had to deal with in my role when I did regulatory compliance, you know, you have this engineer that talks about this and you have this engineer, it says something completely different. And you just have to take those words and then translate them to the government. (laughs) (laughs) So I can get the permit. So yeah, all that makes complete sense. I just I didn't realize that people had roles to help you with that. That's crazy. And efficient. Yeah. Well, you said government and permit, and I thought for a minute I was on a Beavis and Butthead episode. <laughs> See, <laughs> we all speak a different language. <laughs> oh, goodness. So if you had a piece of advice to give the audience, what would it be? The audience consists of people such as yourself, people not even in the industry. I guess it's just a little smidgen of something that a little realization of something maybe. Sure. I will make it tactical. I am having a real return to my roots and I'm actually considering, I thought I was going to go back for maybe a master's. Now I think I want to go back and just do a totally different bachelor's degree. But one of the things, 
<laughs> Insert maniacal laugh. Right. <laughs> One of the things that I am finding a lot of joy in is carrying around a notebook. And it's not really about taking the notes. It's that I'm trying to listen in a different way. And I would encourage everyone, because we all do this, we are good. Everyone is a good listener. But what would it take for you to become a great listener? What does that mean? And so if you're listening to someone's words, then challenge yourself to think about what emotions you think might be behind those words. Why did they select a particular word over another one? What are the different sounds that you're hearing at the same time that you might be in a conversation? And if you're not in a conversation, then what are you hearing? And if you're writing, what made you choose to write or not write? And do you go back and look at what you've written? Because one of the things I've noticed about myself is that I very rarely do go back and look at what I've written. Hmm. Why is that? When I was a student being paid to go to school, I took notes because once I took them, they were in my head, they were my brain, and I could remember from that. At this point, I'm far too old, and I believe I've consumed too much mediocre red wine. <laughs> to have, <laughs> to the the bag, bag wine. Yes. Yes. In fact, yes. And so I don't have those kind of skills anymore. But sometimes it's just that the cathartic exercise of putting the words on paper that gets you to that acceptance of the thought. Yeah. And that's really the purpose. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's how I learn too, but I usually just record it. And then listen back. Yeah, to me, I have to write it. If I record it, I haven't stamped it anywhere. That makes sense. That makes absolutely sense. But yeah, sense. definitely challenge yourself to listen in some different way, deeper, shallower, in a new, different way. There's going to be a different way. Yeah. So what book influenced you the most? Oh, wow. Gosh, lots of them. I'm such a reader. I'm looking around my office. <laughs> That's what everybody does. <laughs> yeah. I've got it's like, which one? The man who would not be Washington, the color of oil and the largest hotel chain in Texas or what's behind me. I would say the one who influenced me the most. I'm not going to get the author right because I always get it confused, but it's called A Fine Balance. And the author's. I always think it's 3D Umrigar and it's not. It's Shristi somebody. Anyway, it is a very, very sad book about loss having to do with poverty in India at the turn of the century. Not the century into 2000, but 1900. Right, right. And it is a very, very powerful book. I highly recommend everyone read it. It might be one that has been taken off the shelves in schools because it is so, it's pretty graphic in terms of the loss that it describes, but it is a true story of humanity and what a person will give. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So what's your most used business tool? Oh, well, I watched a show last night where a guy took a ruler out of his desk to spread peanut butter on some bread. (laughs) So, 
I am going to put a ruler back in my desk. <laughs> you know, my most used business tool, uh, probably right now for me, it would be, I like to have a pen that I really like to write with. I get very irritated if it's not a good pen. Oh, I'm the same way. I'm like, just get this garbage out of here. I want a good juicy pen yeah. so I can write in my notebook. Right. I'm more partial to a uh, felt tip. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that says about my personality, but here it is. I could see that. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I also like to mark pages. So I do take tape flags. I have tape flags with me wherever I go so I can mark pages. Yeah. I have a bunch of those too. I don't use them as much anymore considering this is my job now. So <laughs> it doesn't do me a lot. Yeah. You're supposed to be anti-paper. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know given my name's page. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all day, folks. <laughs> so I don't know if this is necessarily applicable, but who would you say is your most respected competitor? And you won't even have to name them. You can just speak of them if you prefer to do so. Well, you know, I will tell you, it may or may not actually count, but those who know me understand how I feel about Apple. Mm. And they're not a competitor because we are totally, we compete with them for employees because of how badly everyone needs development resources right now. And right. of course, they've got some just crazy talented people. But the thing that I don't like about Apple is how effective they've been at running my life for me. Steve Jobs runs my life. From the grave. Yeah, I was just about to say from the grave. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost unhealthy because I can't do anything. Like last night, I spent a whole bunch of time, literally like 10 or 15 minutes, looking at this charging stand that's supposed to hold my phone in all these different positions so that I can look at recipes and it's going to keep my phone screen on while I'm cooking. And I have an Alexa show in my kitchen. So why do I really need this? <laughs> but I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, figure out, justify this $15 phone charging, keeping my phone alive stand. Anyway, so I would certainly say Apple because they continue to come up with relevant new things for me at my age and for people who are in single digit ages. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. In fact, I'm staring at a Mac while also glancing over at my iPad with my iPhone in my pocket while I wear my Apple Watch. So I totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah. So what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Oh, whew, so many. Well, one would certainly be stop talking so much and listen more. Yeah. I feel like that has definitely been something that I've benefited from. You know, you have to say that everyone feels like they've learned something valuable from COVID. I think we've all learned that despite the fact I think we're all working a lot more hours, we actually can be out of the office and with our families more despite work has to get done. Yeah, it does. But we don't have to be standing in an office with coworkers yeah. to do it. We can get a lot done and still be with our families. And I think learning that and 
having our bosses learn that has been very, very important and a great lesson for all of humanity. Yeah, I see that. And it's kind of crazy to watch some of these companies going, hey, no, you have to come back in. And I'm like, what a waste of resources. Yeah, I know that there are a lot. We did it. We had just opened a gorgeous, gorgeous office. Oh, no. Has a living wall. It's so pretty. Oh, that's cool. wall. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad that we were headed down the path of creating beautiful places for people to work. But I like it better that we're not forcing people to go back to work. Yeah. Well, good for y'all. It was a little bit of a hard time coming, but yeah, we're agreed now. Yeah. Yeah. The, the transition of it all. Why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? My role or DTN's role? Actually, you know, let's go down both roads. Okay. Well, the role I fill at DTN has an element of strategy to it that I think is very critical. I think all companies who choose to focus either a group of people or a section of the business on strategy, which really kind of translates into the unknown, right? What is going to happen in our industries that we need to be prepared for, that we should be investing in, investigating? What are those things that we maybe need to warn others about? Oh, yeah, that's Because good. they're going to have a huge impact on what our future might look like. I think that concept is very important for all of us. There are people who wrote 10 years ahead of COVID that COVID was going to happen. And I don't think anybody believed that that was the case or we would have been working on a vaccine a whole lot quicker. But in terms of how will technology impact the fuels industry and at what rate will battery technology really be adopted? And will we really begin transitioning full scale over to battery powered vehicles versus combustion engine? Everybody wants to know the answer to that question. Yeah. And there are so many, so many variables like the availability of battery minerals and how to deal with battery waste and you know, the adoption of battery technology because the lifespan of ICE engine vehicles is 12 years. So, you know, what are we going to do with all the vehicles that are still viable? All of those questions need answers in order to help car manufacturers and fuel manufacturers and oil companies who are trying to make decisions about transitioning from fossil fuels that run vehicles over to a plastics strategy. They need these answers to these questions. And folks like DTN and others, Apple and others of us who are looking into the future crystal ball and trying to determine how technology will impact some of the things that we really take for granted to be very, you know, basic fundamentals of our lives today bringing those answers back as quickly as possible is really an important responsibility for companies like ours and the role of a strategy officer in companies you know and certainly DTN you know we care very much about our little slice of the market 
But when you roll that all up and you think about all of the people that work on strategy and think about business problems across not just fuel or even sustainability or caring about the earth, but across all industries across the globe, that's a really big responsibility and a lot to think about. So, you know, I kind of answered both of those together, both DTN and my role personally. But I do think that that concept of strategy and being responsible about solving these problems is sort of the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So do you have a favorite podcast? Oh, (laughs) am I cheating if I say Dateline? No, absolutely not. (laughs) No, I kind of figured there would be some murder somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, don't tell my husband. (laughs) Well, if he doesn't know by now, oh. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining me today. You want to plug anything? Well, I actually, yes, you, this has been so much fun. I have had a great time here today and getting to know you really, really excited about kind of growing this together with you. And of course, DTN, we're just really excited about the future. We're excited about bringing more and more technology to the downstream. We think the idea of data mobility is huge. And we think the idea of bringing buyers and sellers together for frictionless transactions where folks can buy and sell without a whole bunch of paper being involved is the way of the future. So we want to help promote that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if people want to reach out to get to know more about DTN or reach out to you directly, how can they go about doing so? We are on the web at DTN.com. And again, my name is Heather Killo and I am at Heather.Killo, K-I-L-L-O-U-G-H at dtn.com. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.